0: This is The Author Biz Podcast with Stephen Campbell, session number 13. Welcome to The Author Biz Podcast. I'm Stephen Campbell, and each week I'll bring you interviews, information, and insights focused on the business of being an author. You can find the episode show notes, links to everything mentioned in the show, and lots more information at theauthorbiz.com. Greetings, and welcome to The Author Biz, the Monday podcast focused on delivering actionable information to help you run your business as an author. Let's start out this week with a question. What's the difference between being an author and being an author entrepreneur? My guest this week offers this short answer.
1: So when you think about just one book, um, the author might think, I have written a book. The author entrepreneur says, I have a manuscript that I'm going to turn into multiple streams of income.
0: You may have recognized that voice as Joanna Penn. She's a talented and successful entrepreneur as well as a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author and professional speaker. She writes both fiction and nonfiction, and she writes consistently and well about what works and doesn't work in the author business on her blog, The Creative Pen. She also shares her insights on a weekly podcast with the same name. As I mentioned, this is my 13th show. Joanna's most recent podcast was her 195th, and she's been educating authors, including me, on a variety of topics for quite some time now. Unbeknownst to Joanna, she's been a virtual mentor to me for years now, since I first decided to start walking down this path towards becoming an author. She's also been a mentor for me in terms of podcasting, so it's an absolute treat for me to have her on the show today. But more importantly for all of us, she's written a book that's being published on September 24th called Business for Authors. And I have to tell you, the title is appropriate. The book teaches authors about business. It's not a dry textbook sort of a thing. It's entertaining. There are plenty of examples from Joanna's career, as well as information she's learned with talking from other successful authors. Now, I know, when you think of business, maybe you're thinking of uh, a business you may have worked for, a company that was filled with different departments, like human resources, sales, marketing, product development, customer support, finance and accounting, management team, the list goes on and on. Joanna uses the language of business and uses terminology like that to explain how each of those functions can work for you in your author business. In this interview, we'll talk a great deal about her book, Business for Authors, but we'll also go into things like how she created her wide reaching author platform, the value of long term thinking, and how she uses it to influence her business planning. Joanna's book, Business for Authors, is a valuable tool, and I can already tell it's going to be one of those books that I refer to over and over again, and not just for the information. The book is also extremely inspiring, and when you work alone the way authors do for so many hours in a day, having some inspiration that you can turn to is a valuable thing. I highly recommend this book to any author who is interested in improving their business skills. I got a copy of the book for free from Joanna to prep for this interview, but I fully intend to purchase a copy as soon as it becomes available, as well as a copy of the audiobook, because I know this is something that I'm going to want to listen to again and again. Now let's get on with the interview. My guest today is Joanna Penn. Many of you are already familiar with Joanna, or maybe her alter ego, JF Penn. But for those of you who may not be... Uh, She's a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of Thrillers on the Edge and a professional speaker. But more importantly for our purposes, Joanna also writes nonfiction books for authors and has a long history as an entrepreneur. Joanna, welcome to The Author Biz.
1: Hi, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me on the show
0: it is a thrill and an honor for me to have you on this show. I've uh, you've been one of the voices in my ear for the last few years, and uh, you've you've helped propel me along the path that I'm on. And I thank you for that.
1: Oh no, worries! I love podcasting. So brilliant that you're doing it too.
0: Now you have a new book that is. Perfect for our audience. It's called Business for Authors. Let's let's talk a little bit about the book. It's, it's coming out tomorrow, September 24th. We're, re- we're recording this on the 17th of September. But it's a digital book, a print book, and an audio book. So um, tell us a little bit about Business for Authors.
1: Yes yeah, so I think the book is really sort of my the full circle I feel like I've come full circle with this book uh, I started writing you know well, we can go into that background but a while back and you know I've gone through the process like everyone of, of writing the books I've learned about marketing and I wrote a book on marketing uh, I've learned about you know creativity I've learned about all this stuff and then finally it was uh, I really wanted to kind of codify and uh, I find with writing nonfiction it teaches you how to you know it teaches you what you need to know so, I needed to put down how to run my own business as an author, uh, how to be an author entrepreneur. And in doing, that, in doing so, I hope it will help other people to essentially uh, use the language of any business and relate that to being an author. As you know, uh, all businesses are the, the same in, in principle. It's just that the products and the customers and you know, aspects differ depending on, on what you're doing.
0: You use the term author entrepreneur. It, it, It seems self evident what that is, but for anyone who might not understand it, can you just give us a brief definition?
1: Yeah, sure. So, to me, an entrepreneur is someone who creates value from an idea uh, and, you know, someone who thinks up an idea and then makes it happen in the world. And, you know, at this point in our sort of corporate history, entrepreneurs are generally taken as people who do startups, um, you know, people who create Facebook, like Mark Zuckerberg is probably sort of the number one entrepreneurial figure. Um, But, of course, if you think about it just on that basic level of, of creating value out of an idea, that's definitely something that authors do. In that we come up with an idea, we create uh, a manuscript, and then that manuscript can be turned into all these different products. So it can be uh, an ebook on Amazon, it could be an ebook on Kobo, on iBooks, or on any of these stores, it can be a print book, it can be an audiobook, it can be in English or any other language, it can sell in America or any other country. So when you think about just one book um, the author might think I have written a book the author entrepreneur says I have a manuscript that I'm going to turn into multiple streams of income so that's kind of what I think and what I do understand is that most authors don't have a clue about (laughs) business Um, you know many do you know like yourself you've run businesses but many authors would just run screaming from the idea of, of talking about products or you know customers or distribution and you know, those big business words. So I really just wanted to help authors to claim the word entrepreneur and uh, to kind of demystify it really and help people to make a living from, from their
0: books. And I think you did a fabulous job of demystifying the entire process because the book is so comprehensive. It, it essentially covers every single aspect of business as it relates to being an author-entrepreneur. Was that your intent from the start or did it just evolve that way as you were sort of teaching yourself your own process as you were writing the book?
1: Yeah, um, I think what I did. Um, well, I read a book called The Personal MBA by Josh Kaufman, which is a really interesting book. He essentially, you know, there's a backlash against MBAs, MBA degrees the, these days, and people are saying it's just not worth it to spend 200 grand on a on a degree. So this book, The Personal MBA, essentially, de, you know, takes the everything you learn on an MBA and break it down into a into a book. It's an excellent book, but it's pretty heavy. So I looked at that book, and um, uh, having spent 13 years as a business consultant and starting a number of my own businesses, I wanted to use the language, but make sure all of the examples were related to creatives. So, for example, you know, using the word product instead of the word book, shifts people's mindset because, you know, people uh, talk about um, their, their special snowflakes, you know, that their books are, mm-hmm. or a lot of women particularly talk about birthing a book and the baby and everything. And I'm just like, no, you, you've got to actually start thinking of your books as products and, you know, going out there in the world and and serving you and making money for you. Um, so just, you know, kind of switching the the, the words around and things like employees, uh, even to define defining yourself as an employee, the writer as an employee of the business. Um, And then, you know, things like sales and distribution, you know, actually trying to break, break down the process. So, yeah, I really, I did want to use that language of business. And for me, I think when I actually took that personal MBA and then used that to help me structure my book it just helped me pull together all of my business and the thing that was most interesting and we can always come back to it is that that planning and strategy aspect um of you know uh, and the e-myth i'm sure you remember the e-myth mm-hmm. book by michael gerber which is the classic don't work in your business work on your business um, you know the same way authors you know we can get really bogged down and that you know the books and without we what we've got to do is kind of lift our heads up and look at the longer term perspective so um, yeah it really helped me think about my business writing this book and I actually think for most people writing um, writing a book will change your own life <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you mentioned the the part about being an employee uh, being your own employee and that was one of the the sections of the book that really resonated with me I've been my own employee for I don't know, 25, 30 years now, but I don't think mm. of it in that, in that fashion. You, you really laid out a specific plan to get people to think about actually being an employee, and when I read that, it actually changed my thinking about what I do when I get up in the morning and, and start writing. I, I thought that was a brilliant section. Was that, was that something that really stood out for you, or was that just something that was just there, something, another check off thing on your list to, to cover?
1: I think it was quite, uh, probably the same way you have. I mean, I struggle with this myself, um, in that, uh, when I was writing a section, it started off that employees were separate and, and that section also has suppliers and contractors. Now, we all know what suppliers are, you know, they're people we pay to provide services or goods. So, for example, an editor is a good example of a supplier. Then I was really struggling with an agent. So if people have an agent, uh, you know, with that 15% pretty much for the life of the book, which can be for the rest of your life. I was struggling to think how an agent was related to the business so that kind of ongoing relationship almost seems like an employee so I was like so what's the legal definition of an employee and obviously it differs per country and th- and that was when I started to think about me as the writer mm-hmm. um, and then okay so what it and the definition of an employee includes things like working specific number of hours you know for the company and um, doing jobs that nobody else can do and when you actually look at the list, you're just like, okay, so I, the, me as the writer actually is an employee of the company. And at my job as a writer, you know, as an employee is to write and produce products for the company. It's not to sit around, uh, you know, eating cake and surfing on Facebook. <laughs> which you know and it's also things like um upskilling and learning more and it's also managing your diary you know like when you have a a day job um you have to manage your diary so obviously there are some personal things you know you have to see the plumber or pick up your kids or whatever but you you manage to balance those personal commitments alongside your day job um and that's what writers need to do as well so if that means getting up at 5 a.m or working late to do your job as a writer as an employee of your business you have to do that and then the other thing that I wanted to the other side of it is what the company promises to an employee Um, and I wanted to make this very clear because I know so many writers who don't pay themselves a salary and who don't pay their pension or superannuation Mm -hmm. um, and who ignore things like paying taxes or you know um kill their backs by sitting in bad postures and things. Whereas if you actually, if your company was in charge, you would have to have a ergonomic assessment. So if you actually start thinking about that side of things, I think it helps you um, in terms of your workload, but it also helps you in terms of treating yourself better.
0: There were a number of items like that in the book that were just things I've been in business forever (laughs) <laughs> and there were so many things that I would never have thought of that that, y- that your list triggered in my mind. And I have so many sections of the book highlighted that oh, uh, it just, it's just astonishing. You covered <laughs> so much ground. Now, let's take a step back. You travel a lot. You speak a lot. You just got back from Stockholm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think authors are hungry for this information, or is this something that, with what I'm doing and what you're doing, that we're trying to feed them that they may not be hungry for yet?
1: (laughs) You're so right. Um, You know, it's the latter. What I find hilarious about this book is the market for it is so small. I mean, I I have another book, which is called How to Market a Book, you know, and that book sells pretty well all the time. Yeah, it's
0: essentially uh, how to make a lot of money selling your books. And and we all want to know that. And you have just rewritten that book and you're re-releasing it, right?
1: indeed but what's so funny with that book is you know people buy it it's like six dollars or something on kindle people buy it and then they email me uh how do i sell more books and 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 it's it it makes me laugh because i'm like look that has everything i know in it you have to read it and then do it but what and what's funny with this book and then of course i wrote one which is public speaking for authors creatives and other introverts Mm -hmm. and again the the target market for that is tiny because most authors don't want to speak and then this book Um, what's interesting is that when you, when I poll like my audience, for example, most people do not want to write, well, what I say, most people will say that they want to make money from their books. Most people will say they want to be a full-time writer, but actually they don't. Uh, Most people are reasonably content with their day job and don't necessarily want to take their business as an author to the next level. So I think what's interesting is um, uh, the the market for this is quite small, but what it enables me To do is when people ask me the question, um, (laughs) I can say, go and read the book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What a reason to write a book. That's funny.
1: Yeah, well, and also, like I said, it was for me. I feel, Mm -hmm. I really feel that everything that I'm doing in my company is now organized. And uh, what I can do next, I find myself uh, returning to the original premise for all of this, which is creativity and mindsets. So for me, I'm back to looking at my blocks around why I don't just write oodles faster than I do. You know, I'm looking at um, ways to shut down my internal editor, uh, you know, ways to be more and more authentic and, you know, bring more emotion into my work. So uh, this book has enabled me to clear the decks in my head around how to run a business. uh, And now I can just get on with
0: doing it. (laughs) Well, now that your head is so clear and you're making it easy for the rest of us to clear our heads, one of the things that, that occurred to me this morning morning when I got up, having finished the book last night, was, which hat do I put on? Do, it, you know what's, what, How am I starting my day? Which hat do I put on? Because I imagine you with these different hats and putting it on and then not doing anything. When you've got your business hat on, you're working on your business. When you've got your writing hat on, you're working in your business. Is that actually the way... I, I'm obviously joking about the hats, but are you able to segment your time that clearly?
1: Yeah, I find I have to. Uh, you know, so as you say, I've just been in Stockholm. So I had three days in Stockholm. I, I I, didn't do any writing. I did three live events, spoke to, you know, a couple of hundred people. And uh, it's extremely tiring for an introvert. Um, and I also got to have a look at Stockholm. So for those three days, I'm a speaker and that's my speaker hat. Um, today, uh, you know, I'm doing all these interviews and writing guest posts for the launch of this business book. So I, I've been wearing... The working on my business hat. I'm not I haven't produced any new words for, you know, a week or so. Um, What I'm finding what I really love about doing a nonfiction book is that it leaves me absolutely desperate to write a story. Uh, (laughs) So I don't think I mean, I couldn't have got up this morning and written fiction. I know some people do that every day. Like Dean Wesley Smith is amazing at just whatever else he's doing. He's still always writing fiction. I almost do need to block out time to be one one thing or the other. Um, And then once once this business for authors is launched, I will be back to Um, what I generally do in the morning is do the creative work so I have on my wall have you made art today Mm -hmm. and that's that then becomes my focus for the morning generally and then in the afternoon I'll often do the things uh you know interviews and blogging and social media and all of that that type of thing so I've got in my diary that essentially next and I I do block out you know these days in my diary so essentially next Wednesday um next Wednesday 24th is is when
0: and
1: I'm back to writing fiction again. <laughs> <Sorry>. Okay, <Yes. laughs>
0: And we'll get to we'll get to your fiction writing in a little bit. And, and we'll you know, right now we're talking to smiling Joanna Penn and we'll be talking to <laughs> unsmiling JF Penn. And that that's a that's actually a good transition to talk about author branding. It's one of those things that we all talk about, we all think about, and we think about an author platform, and we think, well, I need a website and an email list, and I should post pictures of my dog on on Facebook so people will like them. And that's it. That's our author platform. Uh, You go into a great deal of detail in what you did to build your enormous platform and uh, and what others have done. I I found that particularly interesting as well. Um, Can you just give us – for someone – Who's just getting into the business and, you know, maybe is going to have a book coming out in the next year? What should they be doing now to build that platform?
1: Yeah, I think, well, the branding and the platform are two kind of different things. Um, I would say the biggest thing with branding is it does kind of emerge uh, so JF Pen, my fiction kind of brand emerged, you know, three years after the creative pen, which in turn was my third blog and, you know, like my fifth business or whatever. So I, I think be quite forgiving on yourself, um, because things change over time. Um, but then in terms of platform, I basically have done exactly the same things for the last five years or coming up to six years um 2000 december 2008 was when my when i started the creative pen uh, basically all i've done is blog every two to three days do a podcast every week to two weeks i've moved to two weeks now but it was weekly at the beginning uh, do a youtube video every you know week or so do twitter every day and mostly that's scheduled in advance um, And, you know, I don't really count Facebook or LinkedIn or Google Plus or any of those others. So really, for me, it's been consistency over time, uh, using principles around, you know, SEO for headlines, uh, generosity and sharing other people's stuff first, uh, connecting with people like you're doing through the podcast. But essentially, I've just done the same stuff um, and haven't deviated. uh, and, And it's like a snowball. You know, it starts off really small. And, and just gets bigger and bigger that's that is just the way it is, and also I do keep putting out books that's something else yeah, that, that's a help <laughs> <laughs> there's no point in having a platform or a brand unless you have books and and products to actually you know sell to people if your aim is to have a business
0: and there are so many people who get started down this pathway they they diligently post on twitter, they post every day on their blog uh they may not do YouTube, they may not do podcasts. Uh, they're writing. They write a book, and then they start pimping the heck out of it, and wonder why this isn't the big success they they expected it to be. Uh, without thinking of of the, how much this is a long term process, and and you do a great job of laying that out in in your book with specific examples of. How much money you'll make from one book, from two books, from three books, from four books? And, of course, these are all estimates, but mm. it's eye-opening in terms of this is not a, a one-year process. This is a five-year process or a 10-year process or a long-term career process.
1: Yeah. And, and I think it, the penny drops when you look at, you know, um, we've seen Barbara Freethy as I think she's just gone past the 4 million books sold. Uh, she's the biggest seller on KDP, you know. Um, Barbara has, I think, 36 books. And if when I spoke to her at London Book Fair, Um, you know she's just a lovely lady and she's like look I've been writing for 20 years Um, I write books my customers enjoy you know my readers enjoy I put them out regularly Uh, you know I have branded kind of covers the same people like the same books Uh, it's just a numbers game you know and actually when you break like you said I break down a few numbers if you have one book uh, that makes you a grand a month, which, let's say, is is completely over the
0: top. (laughs) Yeah, that's extraordinary. (laughs) If you have that one book, you should definitely do a second one right now. Yeah,
1: well, exactly. (laughs) But even if it makes a grand a month, which is a lot of money, as we just said, that's still only 12 grand a year, which I don't know people who can live on that in the U.S. or in the uk you know it's just it's that's not a living wage so you clearly even if you've got a book that's doing quite well you you need more books and but then it becomes what's so brilliant about where we are now is it can be a numbers game if you're writing good books regularly you can make a living like this whereas it used to be even if you were writing good books regularly if nobody picked you and published you um then you wouldn't be able to make it. So that's what I really like about this. So that's why this model of a business is totally viable. And and obviously you've read it, it the business is not, um, it's got nothing about getting an agent and a publisher in. <laughs> it's about doing this yourself. And uh, in that way, controlling things like cash flow. So, you know, uh, as an indie, we get given, uh, we can get reports every month that tell us our cash flow in two months time, in 60 days time. That's just not been possible with traditional publishing. So, you know, these are things you need in order to run a viable business, which is now possible. And, you know, as a businesswoman, as somebody who had a very good career, I was not going to give up everything for some dream. Uh, You know, it had to, be a reality for me that this was actually going to work as a business, and uh, and it is, which is fantastic.
0: Now you write you write a post every year on your website, thecreativepen.com, dot uh, com, sort of a recap for the past year, and and you recently did did that post, and mm-hmm. I, I think it was inside that post where. You were maybe grumbling to your husband a little bit that you hadn't hit your revenue targets for the year, and he, he essentially said, well, go back to go back to work in the IT consulting job that you had before you'll make a lot more money."
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, my husband's, you know, fantastic in that way. He's very supportive. And, and that is something, you know, I, I think I'm I'm certainly very ambitious. You know, I want to hit the goals I want to hit. And, you know, I want to hire him out of his day job, which mm-hmm. um, certainly H.M. Ward has done. And I think Bella Andre. And, you know, there's quite a few authors who have hired their spouses out Of their jobs um which is absolutely brilliant and yeah he basically said to me if it's if it's just about the cash flow then go back to the job because you know clearly you can make a much easier income at um a job where they you know you sign up for a certain salary and of course being an entrepreneur the salary is never guaranteed um but the point of this life is its freedom. It's it's being able to write what I want. Uh, you know, head off to Stockholm and speak to people. Um, you know, write the, the books I want to write. Really, and uh, I I love what I do. I used to be so miserable in my day job. I was used to cry every day. You know, I earned really fantastic money to be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm quite happy earning less money to be really happy. Um, and I think some people would look at, uh, you know, still after three years full time, I am not making the money I was on when I left IT. But I was 13 years an IT consultant and I've only been three years an author. Now, I, according to my plan, I will definitely make get back to that amount of money before the 13 years is up as an author but it's like you know the classic um it's about climbing the ladder but you've got to make sure your ladder's against the right wall (laughs) and um i was climbing the wrong wall for for years but uh now i'm i'm really happy that this is this is the right one
0: so you're happy you're doing work that you love and you understand that you will eventually get there it's not this is not a one year thing for you or even a three-year thing it's you're talking about definitely being there in 13 years so you're planning that far ahead
1: oh, I, I'm pl- the rest of my life, you know, that's another thing that's exciting about being an author. Uh, you know, you can do this until the day you die or, or your brain dies. You know, Terry Pratchett uh, is my is somebody I admire greatly and I, I support his charity Dignity in Dying, which, you know, wants to give people the choice to, to kill themselves if their brain is dying. And because <laughs> that, that's kind of the worst horror for me. It's like, yes. okay, I want to do this until the day I die, but, you know, I want to be compass mentis at the time but that i mean it's a very exciting world we live in where it it, it doesn't matter where i am as long as i have a laptop you know i can i can publish i can write and publish and sell and earn money over the internet and this really is location independence it's uh it's just it's just amazing i i offer i just sometimes i've just gobsmacked when people don't realize how lucky we are it's just like stop moaning about what you think is so wrong I mean this is just stunningly amazing opportunity that we have and it's only getting better you know like I just said said to you before we started recording like in Stockholm these authors you know the ebooks haven't haven't hit yet there is no amazon.se you know there's no people haven't you know, didn't even consider that they could publish an English ebook to the rest of the world. And, you know, I told them I sell books in 58 countries and four languages, and I'm doing joint ventures with translators. And they're just like, Oh my goodness that's amazing and this is what the world we're, we're in right now i mean we're only in the kind of toddling years of this revolution this creative revolution so yeah i'm i'm thinking about this for the rest of my life for sure
0: now you mentioned you mentioned something that's that's important for us to talk about because it's something that doesn't get talked about in for us authors enough and that's the idea of book distribution in foreign languages overseas. And this is something that you're actively going through and writing about. You've written about it in the book. You write about it on your blog. You go into really great detail about the process that you're going through. Can you just give us a high-level overview of maybe the first book that you had translated to a foreign language, uh, what country it was, and what happened?
1: Yeah, well, first, I want to I want to make it clear that doing translations is, I would say, a bleeding edge activity for authors, Uh, as in it is not a mainstream thing to do and it's not necessarily going to make any money. Now, let me Um, let me jump
0: in here because you said that. And uh, you know who Pat Flynn is, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, For people who may not know, Pat Flynn has a fabulous blog uh, called the Smart Passive Income blog, and he has a his tagline is the crash test dummy of the Internet. I think of you as the crash test dummy for authors because you try everything.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to take that as a compliment because I feel that too. And I have been bleeding. I mean, that's why I say bleeding edge. It's blooming hard doing translation, so I'm not recommending it. What I am recommending, um, so I think I'm probably two years ahead of on the translation side of things uh, if if people do have it's extremely hard to do marketing in a language that's not your own even if you do a 50/50 royalty split with uh, a translator who's going to help you so what I would say is it's much more important for authors to think about publishing in English in other countries because um, this is one of the reasons I talk about not being exclusive on Amazon so there are a lot of American authors who only see the sales in America and don't think about longer-term issues and don't think about the global market. So, for example, Kobo, um, you know, my sales in uh, in Canada are bigger in Kobo, but also Kobo is owned by Rakuten, which is the biggest Japanese e-commerce site, and their new CEO is Japanese. Now, Amazon has opened in Japan, but if you think about Asia and what's going to happen in Asia, it, the, the war has not been won. And then you look at iBooks and what, where iBooks dominates um you know, in different places. I think if you start considering global markets, even for English language, uh, things are very different. So I would just, you know, and I I haven't actually done the sums, I should do the sums. But as I said, I'm now selling in 58 countries. And most of those countries are a trickle. But we all know how long it takes to build an audience. So those trickles over time are going to turn into something else. I've, I've actually got Talking about bleeding edge, I'm actually talking with a Portuguese translator tomorrow about Brazil, which is, you know, I said I wouldn't do this again, and now I'm like, <laughs> yay, Brazil. <laughs> um, you know, Brazil is a huge market, it's a massive growth market for ebooks. So I'm quite excited about that too. But yeah, in terms of recommendations for translation, I would probably say that it's only worth doing. Um, if you have some kind of relationships in that country, um, certainly I wouldn't bother in markets where self publishing just isn't going to work. So, for example, France right now is just really closed to Amazon, has just passed legislation against Amazon, um, whereas Germany is really taking off for. Um, for self publishers. And I have two books in German and they're both starting to earn money now. So as I said, bleeding edge, but I do have that much longer term perspective. And also probably living in England, I have an international perspective that, that others don't have.
0: And you travel a lot. That's one yeah. of your hobbies.
1: <laughs> it is, and I love traveling. And you know, my my sister in law is Nigerian, and I'm I'm really excited about the Nigerian sort of entrepreneurship. And you know, there, there's so much going on in the world uh, that I think if we think of ourselves as as global micro business, uh, that's uh, that's very cool. I I love that side of what we do.
0: You mentioned earlier. When we, we talked about you just getting back from Stockholm, you mentioned that you were an introvert. That's something that you talk about on your podcast from time to time. I, I'm sure that anyone who's listening to you for the first time finds that really hard to believe. You are a, an out-there person. You, you try new things. You're, you're doing these videos all the time. You do the podcast. You're just out there. You're, you're everywhere. Uh, how do you do that as an introvert? And, and what would you recommend that other introverts do to... Become more businesslike with the, with their author businesses.
1: Yeah. So uh, the definition of introvert is not shy. It's somebody who gets their energy from being alone, uh, whereas an extrovert gets their energy from other people. So if uh, when I'm not shy, you know, I can talk to people. I get you know nervous like anyone else, but um, I'm not shy. Uh, so when I speak. The speaking side of it is uh, not easy, but I enjoy it. What is difficult is how absolutely exhausted I am if I spend time with people for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and mo- most authors are are introverts, you know. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to spend hours sitting mm-hmm. on our own, um, you know, doing this. But there's quite a lot of authors who are extroverts, and you will often find them writing in cafes and being sociable. Um, but you know, I, I'm I'm someone who wears earplugs in the library. <laughs> <laughs> I need silence and quiet and being on my own you know a lot so um but yeah if um you know if people are introvert if people are introverted and shy or extroverted and shy um that's different but what's so great about the internet uh, in my opinion is you you, it amplifies the voice that you have. So you mentioned there, you know, I do podcasts and video, but all that is, is like we're doing, this is one-to-one. We we don't know how many people are going to listen to this, but right now it's just one-on-one. Uh, and when I do my videos, it's one-on-one or it's me on my own. Um, and most of the Twitter stuff I do is scheduling, uh, which is me on my own, you know, blogging is you on your own. Um, you know, most of this online stuff and social media is very suited to introverts, you know, we don't have to, uh, you know, w- for example, one of the reasons I embraced online marketing is I don't do phone calls. I just don't use the phone. Uh, I hate the phone and I avoid it, you know, so there's no way I could do cold calling or, you know, following up PR things. Um, you know, I just, I just couldn't, couldn't do that. It's just, oh, no, it's awful. So it's about finding the things that you can do that you enjoy. Um, and, you that will relate to your personality, essentially, and then you can, um, and then just amplify that, really.
0: Okay, um, can you bring a JF Pen into the room, the one that doesn't smile and laugh and, and say brilliant? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well she she does. She does that. But uh, yeah, just, I think um you know I spent many years studying Carl Jung and the the shadow and what i found with my fiction is just getting progressively darker and I think that's a result of me Allowing my shadow side to come out, and I think that's why I am happy because you know that so kind of the definition of wholeness is allowing all sides of you to be expressed. Um, and what I have to stop myself doing is self censoring, which is a struggle for most writers.
0: <laughs> and and you, some of the things you write are really dark, and and this is again something that you talk about on the podcast. Something that you're you have to accept in yourself that you're you're willing to put this out there and have it be associated with you
1: yeah and it's it's interesting i mean i don't write uh I I mean, some people have said I have touches of horror, but I mainly write, you know, kind of uh, dark fiction, Mm -hmm. um, you know, action adventure, but there's definitely murders and crime and um, things. And I write about deeper themes. Um, The latest one, Delirium, has a lot about suicide and a mental illness, uh, as well as the kind of murder mystery. And for me, it's about creating a body of work that I'm proud of. And that's also on my wall. I've got a lot of things written on my wall. And Mm -hmm. one of them is create a body of work I'm proud of. Um, And that, uh, so for example, I did write a couple of uh, erotic, novellas under another name and then i took them down because as far as i'm concerned if i can't put my name to something and i'm not proud of everything i do then what's the point uh so with something like delirium again i'm figuring out what i believe about mental illness and where i sit you know some of the things that i've experienced i could be locked up you know like many of us if Mm -hmm. we admit it you know it's not a static line um so i try in my books to really learn more about myself and help other people think about deeper issues um as well as having a good kind of kick-ass story but i really you know, I think it's so important for authors to only write things that they're proud of that are going to last. Um, yeah.
0: Now, I, I will admit that my favorite of your books are the Arcane series. I, I love the series. I love the characters. Um, it's globe trotting As you said, kick ass adventure, things blow up, ceilings come down. It's, it's, it's exciting stuff. Mm. And, and the other, there was, uh, what, what was the recent novella that you did? I'm drawing a blank on the title that introduced uh, Blake Day. Daniel to those of us yeah. who weren't reading the other series.
1: Yeah, the other series, yeah, Day of the Vikings when it was a fun. Neo-Vikings. That was a fun.
0: There's like 100 pages and just fun. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and do you know what? It's, so, it's great you say that because it was really fun to write. I just went to this exhibition about the Vikings, got an idea, wrote the novella really fast, um, you know, blew a massive hole in the British Museum. Yes. and it, Yeah, it was brilliant. Fact, I talked to some military guys about what helicopter to use and all this. And, and it was just super, super fun. And um, interestingly, my, and of course, Blake Daniel is a psychic. So um, that kind of added a different angle to it. And I got to run around London. And so, you know it's great that you say that because i am going to do more novellas that are action adventure and blowing stuff up because it's fun for me and it's fun for the reader um and yeah i just i want to do more of that so i i definitely try and have a balance of you know kind of kick ass blow stuff up action adventure movies that you don't have to think too much and then this London psychic series, which definitely has a, a slightly more brainy edge to it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because you, you have almost scared me away from reading those or because of the descriptions on your podcast. Like I'm not sure that's for me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I think I've really caught that. Maybe (laughs) that's
0: maybe, maybe you're doing that on purpose because you know, it's not for people like me.
1: I don't know. Uh, You know, it's funny. I think I I discussed this with a guy who who writes horror on my JF Penn site. I do Mm -hmm. interviews there as well. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, I said this to him. I said, do we become desensitized when you write this stuff? So in desecration, there's body modification and, um, you know, corpse art and, you know, uh, medical museums with medical specimens. And when I started writing that book, all those things made me feel quite, you know, physically kind of upset. It was really difficult research. To do, and now I'm just really quite blasé about it. And um, the third book in the series, um, Deviance, uh, I'm going back to the body modification community. I'm going to the London Tattoo uh, Convention in two weekends' time. And there is
0: a London Tattoo Convention, yeah. Okay. All right. You got to take pictures when you're there.
1: Oh, I will be. It's the London International Tattoo Convention, one of the biggest in the world. Um, And I'm just so fascinated by why people kind of do things to their bodies in this way. And um, so, yeah, I just go down these rabbit holes. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's People, I do believe with with books, any kind of books, people resonate with different stuff. N- you know, nobody's gonna enjoy everything you write. Um, and I have to go down the rabbit holes that I want to go down. And then, um, yeah, I'm also writing another arcane book, so there will be more Good. of those.
0: <laughs> Good. <laughs> now, some, something else I want to get into, and this gets back to the bleeding edge stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you are selling. You, you sell your books. Through every possible distribution channel, including your own website, which is unusual.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny because you say that, but of course, uh, not like someone like Pat Flynn, who you mentioned, and uh, most bloggers have been selling books on their websites for years. Yes, but you're not
0: selling your books for $97
1: no that is that is the big and that 's why I haven 't done for a long time. so I have been selling with e junkie i 've been selling courses and audio and stuff for years now, so about five years, I have been selling digital products, and most bloggers will sell a guide, which would be a PDF, essentially mm-hmm. an ebook um, but yeah, so what I did uh, recently um, it, it it mainly is because of that Amazon haschet um, you know, dispute that's going on where I read an article that said the reason Hachette can't just walk away. Because I was just thinking, why don't they just walk away? You know, then Amazon can't be the everything store. Uh, you know, why, why can't they do that? And this report said that Amazon holds something like 70% of the revenue for the US or something is, is you know, for, for Hachette is through Amazon. And it made me think, I do not want anyone to own 70% of my revenue. And when I look at my revenue, I would say that Amazon probably do have seventy percent as well. Mm-hmm. so what then becomes important and Of course, back in two thousand and eight, you remember with the uh, global financial crisis, I was laid off along with four hundred other people on one day um, i don 't like the idea of someone being able to shut me down again, so I started to uh, sell ebooks um, directly, so they are like you say like four ninety nine five ninety nine and up until recently, they've all been nonfiction, and I've just started to sell fiction through the site, uh, which is fantastic. So what I, th- I think there's a real shift in the economic climate. I think people are more willing to buy from authors directly. I think people are getting a bit more savvy about how to get files onto their Kindles. Mm, uh, yes. You know, people want to shop at farmer's markets or buy on Etsy. Uh, You know, they don't want to support big companies. They want to support artists, you know, Patreon and, um, you know, Kickstarter and all this. So I think there's a shift happening. And also what it means is you can uh, develop a relationship with people, get their email address, uh, learn more about what they want. So I think a lot of authors are are shifting to not, you know, not entirely going all in with Direct, but I do think it's, it's definitely something, an option to grow over time.
0: And I, I completely agree. It just it seemed like a great idea when you did it. it. It seems like something that everyone who has more than one book should consider doing um, for a number of reasons, uh, most of which you just described, but I'll emphasize the last one. You then own the relationship with the reader. You don't own the relationship with the reader if it's purchased through Amazon
1: exactly and uh, you know I'm certainly going to keep my books on all of the platforms uh, and uh, and then see what happens but I, you know I get like all this stuff like with my translations as well I'm not sharing um, numbers on that yet what I'm doing is giving it six months mm-hmm. and then I'll, I'll do a roundup post you know after six months and say okay you know like you said about being a crash test dummy you know this is what's happened with this and also with the direct thing I'll do the same thing um, I'll look at actually uh, what's going on. And so far it's definitely been nonfiction that's selling primarily, um, you know, but, but for example, I'm using a site called sells, S E L and you can embed the store onto Facebook. So that's, you know, a way that you can get people from Facebook to actually buy things. Um, you know, so that's, there are just lots and lots of opportunities that we have now to bring business into the
0: way that we're interacting online. And to tie this all the way back to the initial portion of our discussion, everything that you just said is in your book that's yeah. c- coming oh, out yes. tomorrow, including <laughs> cells. So I went to your website today just to look at the cells implementation, and it's really nice. It's it's a cool implementation. I had no idea that you could do it on Facebook. I must have skipped over that. But yeah. um, it, it's really nice, and even if the numbers are minuscule, it's there and it's available for the people who want it and why not why not make it available for those people
1: yeah and again i do think that it's keeping this long term view you know for example building an email list you know everybody says oh but you know if i start an email list i'll have nobody on it or i'll have one person and it'll be my mom you know and but that's what happens to all of us yes uh, you know, Twitter's the same, you know, podcasting is, is the same. It just takes time. And I, I think that as people get more and more used to buying direct from the author, um, you know, these are things that will become more normal. Like, you know, if we wi- rewind even five years ago, people would not, ha- people were not reading on Kindle, people were not reading books on their phones. Um, people need to adjust to technology, and the more people who have it, it means people will adjust faster. So uh, I, I would definitely encourage uh, authors to consider the direct option as one leg of their, of their business
0: for sure. You're a deep thinker about the business and you talk about things on your podcast constantly that, that you're thinking about. What, what do you see? What are you looking forward to over the course of the next few years?
1: Oh gosh yeah I mean I've only recently have ACX opened up audiobooks mm-hmm. to the UK to the UK. So I'm all in on audiobooks um, for my fiction on Audible and ACX, but I'm also like you know, like we said, I've recorded my own for this book and I'm going to record my other nonfiction books as well. So I do think that authors should be thinking about audio. Uh, again, it's <laughs> these things are not very forward thinking. They're actually like right now, mm-hmm. but so few so few people are doing them. So audio is one. Obviously the global market I think is another. I really, I mean, what we haven't seen yet, uh, like I said, you know, Germany is just starting to go. Sweden is just noticing um, this type of thing happening. We really haven't seen the Far East um, you know go nuts yet yeah, I would like to see Arabic and Mandarin on on our sort of languages the other the thing that is exciting about this translation uh, thing is that everybody says it can't be done so I, I in Sweden people were like well no no translator would ever do a 50/50 royalty split I, no translator would ever do work and not be paid and I've said but I'm working with six and after tomorrow <laughs> it will be seven translators who are doing this happily and willingly and the reason why is that they've been treated so badly by traditional publishing for years they've just been treated like you know work for hire they had no creative input into the cover or the marketing and what I'm finding is as creative people translators want to be part of the the book and so what I this has made me quite excited because it's not just that it could be musicians, you know, you could actually work with a musician and come up with a soundtrack for your book, like something um, different. I'm, I'm on Friday meeting some people who do 3d printing. Uh, And what I want to do is have, have a clue, you know, a clue within my book that if you 3d print the design, it's going to give you a hint as to the murderer or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's a cool idea. Yeah, that's really cool. And then things like Oculus Rift, um, you know, the a virtual reality—the first virtual reality headset that's actually re- like properly virtual, where you don't feel sick. That is <laughs> so.
0: That is so exciting. Just the idea of this stuff coming down I, I the pipes.
1: Yeah, it's just amazing. So my question is, how do I get my book and my worlds into Oculus Rift? Mm-hmm. You know, or I'm going, you know, what I think people don't don't get stuck on, oh, right now I just put my ebook on Kindle, you know. That is just it's like the beginning of the possibilities of what we can do with our Right so I, guess, I think that's my message in general don't think of it as one book think of it as um you know the it's one manuscript that you can turn into so so much more um and there really is no limit and I think what indies can do if you own the rights you see you can do you can pivot you can be agile you can say yes to whatever you want you know like this box set I was in in february that made the new york times and the usa today list mm-hmm. there is no way a publisher would have done that because we had 12 books for 99 cents no publisher would have gone for that and um you know that was a collaboration so so those are some of the things i'm very excited i think we haven't even touched the you know touched the surface of of what's going to happen over the next few years
0: it's amazing the disconnect between the gloom and doom that you hear on one side And the excitement that you hear in your voice and on the other side. And I I hate to just say that there are sides, but there's a group of people who are really excited about the opportunity, and there are a group of people who are really depressed that things are changing
1: yeah and it's so funny you say that because i i do feel like i live in a parallel universe i said this in sweden as well you know these authors i was just like you guys i felt like i was coming from the future like i was an alien from the future coming in to tell these authors what their life was going to be like if they if they reached out and grabbed it you know and i do i totally agree with you and actually i've given up uh talking to those people who live in the doom and gloom world Mm -hmm. um you know i used to talk quite i used to get hired quite a lot by publishers to go and be a like you say a crash test dummy so they could beat (laughs) beat me up over Uh being indie and now I'm like I don't even have to justify my business to you anymore I just carry on so um Joe Conrath you know talks about a shadow industry and I just more and more I agree with him in that I don't use ISBNs for example Mm -hmm. Um, so if I don't use ISBNs none of what I do is being tracked by any of their traditional modeling tools and all of their reports my sales are not included in their reports. And, mm-hmm. and many authors are not included. So basically, I think we just have to live in our, we can live in our happy, positive world. Um, you know, that's another thing about entrepreneurs, you have to, you know, don't wait for permission, just go and go ahead and do it. And, uh, you know, you can fail, it's not a big deal, you just get up and carry on. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, that's a great place to, to end this. Joanna, it's been an absolute delight for me to have you as a guest on the show. You're inspirational, and it, it's been fun. For everyone that's out there that listens to this podcast, you have to buy Joanna's book. It lays everything out that you need to understand. If, there, if there's terminology that was used in this podcast that you don't understand, it's in the book. It's all in the book. And you can get the book beginning tomorrow. Everywhere you buy digital books, you can buy print copies. You can buy an audio version— You can also buy them at Joanna's site, which is? Uh,
1: Thecreativepen.com, and that's pen with a double N. And if you have any questions, you can always tweet me at The Creative Pen.
0: Joanna, thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me, Stephen.
0: Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, including past episodes, you can visit the website at www.theauthorbiz.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions for the show, you can leave them at the site or you can ping me on Twitter. I'm at Steve Campbell FL. Please join us again next week for another informative episode.